I will never forget that freezing cold night. It was early morning when I got here, and the scene I saw was now etched in my mind forever. When you look back, the relatives of those who died on Bloody Sunday got a state apology. The Hillsborough relatives got some justice. To our eternal shame here is a group of relatives who are still waiting for the truth of what happened on the night 41 years ago. I have said this so many times before. If the Stardust tragedy happened in some middle-class area of this country, or indeed on the south side of Dublin, we would not be here today still trying to find out what happened on that dreadful cold February night. So after 41 years, you still have not got the answers and the justice you deserve. And for as long as I can, I will do anything I can to help you. I keep saying this. I really mean it. You are the most remarkable group of people. Charlie Bird, February 13th, 2022. This was the Stardust Fire, and this is the good the bad and the pure evil. So the building which was home to the Stardust nightclub was built in 1948 and at first was a food factory to Scots Food Limited. This lasted for about 30 years. In 1978 the owners of Scots, who were the Butterley family, converted the premises into an amenity centre that had a bar called the Silver Swan a function room called the Lantern Rooms and a nightclub called the Stardust. The club had a dance floor, a stage, two bars and two seating areas north and west of the dance floor. There was also tables and chairs on the dance floor area. The west seating area could hold a crowd of 280 people. The fire happened Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1981 at about 1.30am. Many people inside saw fire in different places at different times in the club that night. 841 people were in the club that night for a special St. Valentine's event. On that night, the owners of the club were given special exemption to serve alcohol from 11pm until 2am. In order to get this special exemption, the event was classed as a dinner dance. The fire is thought to come from an electrical fault in the room beside the roof space. The first floor storage room had many flammable materials, including drums of cooking oil, nearly 45 five gallons of it. Staff said they saw a small fire on a seat in an alcove behind the curtain. They would try to put it out, but that failed. The blaze apparently came from a fire in the storeroom that came down through the roof tiles into the west alcove area, falling onto the box on tops of seat benches covered in flammable PVC coating polyester fabric. This was also seen by a woman sitting across from the alcove. She said the temperature also went up, however there was no smell of smoke. Then the fire spread from table to table and chairs to chairs, jumping from one item to the next. Smoke started to be noticed by those inside and in the smell of burning. When first seen in the ballroom, the fire was small, 
but by 1.45 a.m. a ferocious burst of heat and thick, dense, coal black smoke seeped from the ceiling, melting anything it touched, causing it to drip hot, burning sludge onto the people below. The fire then did what was called a flashover. This happens when the majority of exposed surfaces in a space are heated to their auto-ignition temperature and emits flammable gases. This flashover engulfed the club. The lights immediately failed. The sudden blackout spooked the crowd who then wanted out. The DJ tried to give reassurance to the crowd, confirming there was a small controlled fire and to remain calm, go to the exits and carefully evacuate. In a function room, there was a trade union event. Those attending this escaped easily, but those in the stardust faced many obstacles to escape. In the stardust, there was five emergency exits, but most were locked by paddocks and chains. They were also blocked inside by tables, and even outside, they were blocked by parked cars to have no one sneak in. The windows had steel plates or bars on them. Sledgehammers, axes and even tow ropes from outside were used in the windows, but not a dent was made. When firemen arrived, they attached chains to their fire engines and onto the window bars to try pull them off, but still it didn't work. Once the lights went out, the thick smoke entered, making visibility zero. Widespread panic consumed those inside. Mass trampling happened as many instantly ran to the main entrance. Confusion in the smoke was rampant, having many run to the men's toilets, mistaking it for the exit. The firemen would find over 25 people trapped in the front toilets. A survivor said people were in panic, running everywhere in absolute pandemonium. This survivor did get out unharmed, but went back in to help others. During this, he fell and was trampled on, but he did survive. People outside also seen the fire and heard the people cry for help. They called the emergency services within minutes of each other. Two other calls from inside came about of a six inch fire on a chair in the ballroom, west side of the building. At about 1.42 a.m. a call came to the Gardaí at Dublin Castle. The call was from a young man inside the Stardust reporting a robbery of his girlfriend's bag. The caller was hard to hear and or understand. By the time the Gardaí got to the caller's name, screams interrupted the conversation and the caller hung up. From the calls for help, ambulance from Dublin Fire Brigade, Eastern Health Board, Dublin Civil Defence, the Red Cross, Orden of the Malta Ambulance Corps, St John Ambulance Ireland and the Airport Fire Rescue Service were all sent to the scene. The first engine got there about 1.51am. They found bodies piled on top of each other inside the doors. The ambulance crew grabbed as many as they could some having 15 casualties in the rig. CIE, or Chorus Umper Aaron, sent buses to take the injured. Local radio stations called upon people with cars to get to the club to help with transport. The hospitals prior that night were settling into the night shift, quietly checking on the sleeping patients 
when the doors burst open with injured and dying victims. They fast became overwhelmed, in particular the Matter Hospital, Jervis Street Hospital and Dr. Stevens Hospital. Family members of the victims said the scene and handle was chaotic. Taxi drivers came to their help, taking them to the hospitals without charge. Once at the hospitals, they were met with little information about what happened, saying the Gardaí were ill-prepared. In total, 48 people died, 46 in the fire and two more later in the hospital. The last death was recorded on 11th of March 1981. 241 people were injured. The ages of those who died ranged from 16 to 26, with 23 of them being an eldest child of the family, usually one to contribute to family money or the sole breadwinner for their families. Most of the victims came from Artain, Kylemore and Kulak. Half were under 18 and 16 were, sev were 17 year olds and four were just 16 year olds. In later years, the fire was suggested to be a suicide attempt of a group with 25 people. The families of the victims and those who survived had to fight in court for answers, compensation, accountability and justice. 10.4 million punt or Irish pound was paid to 823 individuals. Five got 100,000 pound, 24 got 50,000 pound with the majority getting from five to ten thousand pounds. Parents who lost their child got a max of seven and a half thousand pounds. 2007, the bodies of five victims were, weren't, who weren't identified were exhumed. They were identified through modern DNA testing and were given their own burials. The first investigations were reported that the fire was arson. Recently though this finding has been ruled out as the, there wasn't evidence to back up the idea, even at the time when it was reported. A tribunal inquiry under Justice Keane held a public meeting 12 days after the fire. They concluded in November 1981 and said cause was probably arson. This has been criticised and disputed from then on as it illegally took responsibility of the Butleys but the tribunal did point flaws in their safety standards. Justice Keane also pointed out and criticised the butleries and management at the Stardust regarding the locked or blocked emergency doors that night of the fire, calling it, quote, recklessly dangerous practice, end quote. In 1986, another tribunal, this was the Victims' Compensation Tribunal. It was headed by Judge Barrington, Solicitor Smith and Barrister O'Flaherty, who is now a judge. The aim of this tribunal was to focus on monetary composition uh, for the victims and their families. Testimony from survivors, victim families, friends and even co-workers were given. The three men, Barrington, Smith and O'Flaherty, wrote an opinion based from the testimonies that the treatment to the victims was neglect and many were given no medical support after the fire. 2009, four relatives of those who died in the fire gathered and held a sit-in at government buildings in a security hut. 
They were calling on the government to open a new investigation. The protest works and the government commissioned an independent examination chaired by Paul Coffey, senior counsel of the case submitted by the Stardust Victims Committee to reopen an inquiry into the Stardust fire disaster. But lack of evidence and because so much time had passed, it wasn't seen in the public's interest to reopen a public inquiry. However, public record was advised to be changed, particularly paragraph 6.167 in the original inquiry to remove the word arson, replacing it with, quote, the causes of the fire is not known and may never be known. There is no evidence of an accident origin and equally there is no evidence of a deliberate fire start, end quote. After this, the Dáil had a vote on February 3rd, 2009, that the arson idea was hypothetical, and no one at the Stardust that night can be held responsible for the fire. From this, defining arson in the original report has been removed as the cause, as no solid evidence suggests it was done on purpose or maliciously. Despite many testimonies about the locked or blocked fire exits, which clearly breached fire safety regulations, the owners never ever faced charges and have never ever apologised. June 2018, a campaign to get as many signatures as possible on a postcard to appeal to the Attorney General of Ireland to finalise the coroner's report of the 48 who died in the fire. September 25, 2019, Attorney General announced a fresh inquest to be done on the 48 who died in the Stardust Fire in 1981. From the horrific accident, the owner's butlery went after a claim of compensation against the city because of the initial arson conclusion. They were eventually awarded 580,000 pound or Irish pound. Fire safety was hugely looked at after the fire, with many, many recommendations being made. They would look at the Summerland disaster of 1973 on the Isle of Man for lessons learned and changes made. Starting at the very basics, providing fire extinguishers and leaving fire exits clear and not locked were all implemented. If these had been adhered to on the night of the fire, it could possibly have prevented many deaths. September 18, 1993, the Stardust Memorial Park in Bonnybrook was opened by Lord Mayor of Dublin, McGullia. 2006, Eamon Butley planned to reopen on the site. People were outraged and this began to protest from victim families and their supporters. The protest lasted 10 weeks and ended with an agreement from the Butley family to erect a memorial on site and not name the pub the Silver Swan, the original name of the pub attached to the Stardust, instead naming it Artane House. February 13, 2011, that afternoon, a Stardust memorial was done in St. Joseph's Church, Coolock, followed by a wreath lane at the Stardust Memorial Park. The next evening, a candlelight vigil was held at the Stardust Grounds. July 1985, the singer Christy Moore was found guilty of contempt of court from a song he wrote, They Never Came Home, 
which is allegedly about the stardust victims and appears to point blame at the owners and government. It had lines like, quote, In a matter of seconds, confusion did reign. The room was in darkness. Fire exits were chained, end quote. And also lines like, quote, Hundreds of children are injured and maimed, and all just because the fire exits were chained, end quote. From reading it, it implies the blocked exits were solely responsible for the deaths and injuries. The song was banned on Christie's album, Ordinary Man. The album was removed from circulation and reissued without the song. But some with the original song was sold and said to be rare and collectible. The song is still banned in Ireland as libus, but at the 2006 protests of the opening of the Silver Swan, the song was played for 10 weeks. It was first played from 6 to 8pm as families and supporters protested. It was played for so long that three tapes of the song failed. Then a CD only lasted 8 days. And finally an MP3 player played the song lasting a week of the protest. We may never know exactly what happened that night. But 48 people lost their lives and 241 were injured sending shockwaves in families, friends and the community. Hopefully, maybe one day justice might come to the victims and families of the dead from this horrific event when their loved ones went out and never came home. Thank you all for listening. Join me next time when I'll take a look at Lady Mary Heat an Irish aviator who was born Sophia Catherine Theresa Mary Pierce Evans in Nakaderi, Limerick, November 17, 1896. She was the original heroine of the skies before Amelia Earhart and Amy Johnson. She went on to become the first person to fly solo across Africa from South Africa to London, an incredible journey she did in an open-air cockpit. But what goes up? must come down. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.